Welcome into another edition of the Troy Farkas Show. This is one of the final episodes of season one, where I just talk to my friends, catching up with people, future seasons, more to come on that, more details uh, to follow in the coming weeks. But for now, I welcome in Rena Benina. Real name is Rena Wong, but she will forever be known to me as Rena Benina. Now, Rena, thank you for joining me today. I'm very excited to, to talk to you. I would say that our friendship is the, the 2021 version of a pen pal. I think that would be the, the best way to describe it. We've never actually met in person, but we, we text from time to time. We're, we slide into each other's DMs on various platforms from, from time to time. You are one of my absolute favorite Twitter follows. You are hilarious. You just always bring levity to maybe some of the, the darker situations that there that there have been in the past year. So uh, it's been awesome getting to know you, and I'm super excited to actually get to know real really more about you today. So thank you for joining me. Thank you. What an intro. I, I would love to hear that like every day when I wake up now. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Got you. So we, of course, know each other through the internet because you were and still are one of the, the diehard fans of a <laughs> podcast that I have worked on at ESPN called Baseball Tonight. You are a massive baseball fan. You were always writing into the show, calling into the show. You appeared on the podcast a couple of times. So this is a big reason why I love podcasts is that there's kind of a, an intimate community of listeners around them. And you were just one of many, many listeners on, on that show that I loved interacting with. And we're kind of the same age. I think, I think we're the same age, maybe a, a year or so. So it's actually really cool uh, getting to know another baseball fan who's around my age because there's not many of them these days. No. <laughs> it's 40 plus is a safe bet. Nothing wrong with being 40 plus. But when I found out that we were around the same age, I was shocked. Not because you sounded like older, but I mean, just you were a producer and you knew so much about the sport. You were kicking Buster's butt at trivia. Let's go um, every week. Um, I maybe he won't hear that. But anyway, and so I was shocked and I was in awe to know that you were young and that we had so many similar interests, not even just in baseball and in the podcast. And so it's been really awesome to get to know you through DMs and texts this past year. And like you said, the classic 2021 pen pal friendship, very pandemic friendly. We've got, we've got yoga in common. We both like yoga. Yeah. We both like fitness. We both love Halsey. We've been known mm -hmm. to talk about Halsey from time to time. Just found out that we're both lefties. So that's mm -hmm. very exciting. Uh, so th there's a lot I want to want to talk to you about today. But first, Rena, so you live in Minnesota in the suburbs of Minneapolis, just outside of that city. So I'm going out west in the in the very near future here. And I've never really been to Minnesota. And there's a bunch of places that I want to hit while I'm out there. Colorado, Utah, Montana, Arizona. Minnesota is not on my list, but I would like for you to make a pitch to me to come to Minnesota. Let's forget that it's a pandemic. Let's act like there's not a pandemic. Why should I come to Minnesota? Convince me. So I feel like Minnesota is a little bit of a hidden jewel in the Midwest. It's got all of the elements that you want in like a Chicago or, or a Denver, right? So you get the skyline, you get the professional sports teams, you get the beautiful views from the lake. But at the same time, it's extremely affordable to come here compared to those other cities, right? And the people here, I mean, they don't say Minnesota nice for no reason. And Minnesota is kind of the only place where you get that big city feel, but you really get that small town charm. And every area of Minnesota and particularly Minneapolis just has its own culture. It has its own traditions. And you could walk down the street from, you know, one part of Minneapolis to the other and get 
a completely different feel. And I'm a little biased, but I feel like our food, our beer is bar none. I know they say a lot about like Milwaukee and Wisconsin, but you get that here too. And so maybe not in the winter time, but definitely stop by in the summertime. You'll get huge bang for your buck and, you know, check out the sports teams while you're at it. So you get the best of everything here. Go Twins. So you, you bring up the term Minnesota nice. Now, I know there's perceptions around the country that, okay, the Midwest treat, um, treats you one way, Minnesota, Minnesota treats you one way, and the city in the Northeast in New York City and Boston, they're mm-hmm. kind of a-holes, and the West Coast people are just super into themselves and full of themselves. I don't know if I buy into all of that. Can you break down what exactly you mean by Minnesota nice? Like How, how much nicer are people, really? So if you run into someone on the sidewalk, like if you are walking and you forcibly smash into them and knock them over, they will apologize to you. And then you will apologize back and they will keep apologizing until someone eventually leaves and it could last up to 20 minutes. And basically anytime you do something wrong here, the other person will always apologize to you. We are so nice here. It's gotten to the point where it's a little excessive, but you don't really get that anywhere else. I mean, if you... If someone ran into you in, let's say, where you are, Massachusetts, I mean, they'd probably yell at you. (laughs) It would definitely be your fault, but you don't get any of that here. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. All right. You brought a beer. I love beer. I'm a big IPA guy. What what kind of beer girl are you? I am not a huge beer person. I'm sorry. First thing we don't have in common. I know. I know. I am a big cider fan, um, but Minneapolis has so many different types of IPAs. We've got a bunch of our own breweries. Surly's one of the big ones. It's like a two-story huge brewery that we've got right in Minneapolis. Like people do weddings, people do everything there. It's it's a big deal around here. I'm just not a huge part of it. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I am uh, too. So obviously you're in Minnesota now. Now you've been in Texas. You lived in Wisconsin for a little bit. You got to America at age six. So I, I, I want to go way back. I don't really know anyone that immigrated to America. If so, it was that their parents that did it, but they were American born and raised. So you actually came to America at age six, became a citizen. I'm curious, what was that process like for you, if you remember it? So I definitely remember that airplane ride. Um, it was long. We had a pit stop in Detroit. No, um, it was definitely... An interesting experience because when you're that young, you don't really realize what's happening. I mean, you see your parents pack their bags. And in my instance, my mom came here a couple months before my dad and I did. And so I thought, oh, she's just coming here to visit. You know, it's like a vacation. We'll see her in another year. And it wasn't like that at all. I thought that when we brought our suitcases and we brought everything that we owned, it would be temporary. So we'd be here for a couple years. I'd go back and never really thought about it in any other way until we just never left. We stayed here until now (laughs) and probably forever. And so you don't really remember a lot when you're that young, but seeing it through the eyes of my parents, I think has been the biggest thing, you know, watching them go through the stressors of becoming a citizen. I think there's a lot of pitfalls that people don't think of in that process where if something were to happen to you or if you didn't get a certain grade in grad school, in my mom's case, you know, you could be asked to leave the country and a lot of the risks that are associated with immigrating, the financials, everything along those lines. 
And so I think that I was very lucky to come here so young where I didn't really feel a lot of the immigration stress that maybe some older kids and definitely adults do. And I'm getting pretty close to the age that my parents were when they actually came here. And so I couldn't imagine right now picking up everything that I own and going to a country where I didn't speak the language with like a snotty five-year-old kid. So I, I failed to mention that you came here from Beijing. Uh, your family came from Beijing. Do you know what your parents' motivations were for coming here? For my mom, it was definitely about freedom and everything that comes with it. She wanted me to have the right to do what I wanted. She definitely saw the direction that maybe China was going to go down politically. And she wanted me to have a chance to start over here and really start with a clean slate in America. And I'm very grateful that she did because obviously in China, you don't get a lot of the same privileges that you get here. I mean, social media is just one very, very small facet of that. So that was her biggest motivation. She really lived that traditional American dream that I think a lot of other immigrants have. Now, I know how kids are. Kids suck when you're growing up. Now you speak perfect English now, but I imagine it wasn't always that way. Um, so when you first came here and you're now an American kid going to American schools, how were you perceived by other people here? I think I was, again, really lucky to be so young because I think everyone hits an age where you start to see color and you start to see race and differences. And because I started in elementary school, actually in first grade, I acclimated actually really quickly. After a couple of months, I was speaking language. I mean, language isn't very advanced in first grade anyway. You're still kind of learning the basics with the other kids. And so the kids really were pretty welcoming. I don't think they really realized that I was different. It was definitely when I was much, much, much older. And ironically, like you mentioned, speaking perfect English when I really started to feel even different from the other kids. And so I would say it actually started off easy and it probably got harder through high school and college when we're a lot more socially aware of what's around us. Have you been back to China at all since then? Funny you mentioned that. Yeah, I think something that people don't realize is you can't just willy nilly leave the country after you immigrate here until you either get a green card or your actual citizenship. And so, like I mentioned, I moved here when I was in first grade with my parents and I didn't get to go back until my senior year in high school when my grandpa passed away. And the only reason that we were able to do that was I just so happened to get my green card like the week before he passed. But had we not, I would have not had the opportunity to go back. And I've only gone back twice since coming here. Do you think you will ever go back to live there again? Or do you think you're America through and through? I am America through and through. I, I don't think I would survive. It's, it's just such a different world out there. I mean, a big apartment is pretty much the biggest home that you can get as an average human. And it's crowded. You are surrounded by noise and people all the time. And after you live in the US, even if you live in like a New York City or, or a San Francisco, it's nothing compared to what you would experience in like a Beijing or a Shanghai. I think that after a couple of weeks, anyone from America would get, get so overwhelmed that you would need to leave. I, I couldn't do it. That's, I think, the biggest thing. Hmm. What is that? Oh, overwhelmed how? 
you're just, you're never alone. And any time you leave your space, which is so small, you're constantly just surrounded. It feels like you can never get peace and quiet. And can you imagine being locked down in like a tiny studio in, in like a big city where you don't really have access to anything. And when they locked down there, like they really locked down, you weren't leaving, they lock your doors from the outside. And so that's, I think the biggest thing, the language. Okay. The people, food, everything else is pretty much. Okay. I think that environmental factor is the big thing. Okay. Very cool. Um, all right. So I want to just fa fast forward a little bit in your life. So you are one of few women in the, the science and tech field. You are a project engineer. I'm wondering where, when you first identified that you wanted to be in that field. Um, so I don't think I ever had envisioned myself to actually be in this job. It might not be obvious, but I'm actually a big introvert. I know shutdown hasn't been great, but I've also thrived a little bit being at home. <laughs> it hasn't been that bad. Like I wouldn't mind staying at home for maybe ever. Um, but at the same time, I think when I was little, I really started to realize I was interested in the STEM field. I've always liked math. I've always liked science. And it just felt like the natural way to go. And I know being Chinese American, there's a lot of stereotypes involved with parental pressures and things like that. But my mom actually never gave me pressure to choose engineering as a field. That's just something that I kind of always wanted to do and saw myself going in. And so it's definitely kind of out of left field to choose something that's so people facing um, in the engineering field. But I think it's been a pretty good fit so far. So when you got to college, how did you kind of identify the path that you wanted to go uh, from there? I was actually one of the few people that didn't stray a ton in college. I pretty much knew I wanted to be an engineer or a doctor. Again, parents never gave me this pressure. I actually chose these two fields. Um, but pretty quickly after I did a study abroad trip on um, kind of a medical study abroad trip, I realized that it was not for me and I didn't want to be in school for that long. I didn't want to necessarily do the same thing every single day. And so pretty much right away, I figured out this is the field and path that I want to go on. It's a pretty boring college story, but it is what it is. You are a woman with many interests, as we said, fitness, food, baseball, and you have this, this nine to five job. Do you, do you think that you will stay in this lane for a long time? Or do you think you'll ever go off into somewhere uh, of your other interests? I could totally pivot. I mean, taking on this job was a pivot in of itself. Again, didn't expect myself to go into a field that I thought would be more suitable for like a more extroverted uh, engineer, which they do exist, shockingly. I haven't met one. <laughs> right? You probably won't. Um, and so you never say never. If the right opportunity comes up and if I'm feeling it that day, I don't really have a fear of pivoting. What is the role of fitness in your life, of health and fitness? It definitely keeps me balanced because that's the one thing that I know will be a constant, right? I do the I do the same things pretty much every week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I do this Tuesday, Thursday, I do this in terms of fitness. And no matter how crazy my day gets, no matter, you know, where my job sends me in the world, I know that at 530 AM or PM, I am going to be working out, I'm going to be doing this workout on this day. And I think that it adds a lot of routine 
especially, you know, when we're not in the pandemic and I'm hopefully out and about a little bit more. I love that. I'm so glad that you said that because I think people come up with excuses all the time. Mm-hmm. We, we, I mean, we all have such lengthy to-do lists. There's always something to do, right? And so because a lot of us, um, you know, like checking things off that list, we often let other things just go unchecked on that list, like working out, like eating right, like calling your mother mm-hmm. or, what, or whatever it is. Um, so what I found is that you just need to kind of set a meeting with yourself or set a time for yourself. I, I have things in my phone calendar that, hey, at six o'clock, you have to do this. Am I doing a yoga class with anyone? No. Am I going somewhere? No. Do I have an instructor? No. But I have my own kind of routine. So at six o'clock, you need to stop what you're doing and go do that yoga class or everyone. No matter what you're working on, stop and go do it. I think that's a really important practice. So I'm glad you do that. Right. It really keeps you balanced. And especially during this time where we're all stuck at home. I mean, the pandemic, even though it's been a year, completely threw off all of our schedules. And that's not something that just a year or two will fix. And so, like you said, setting that time for yourself every single day and making sure that you do that task every day, regardless of what's going on. I think that it's a big mental health balancer too, if that's a word, but yeah, I totally agree with you. What, what lessons or what things have you learned about yourself from this last year uh, that maybe you, you would not have otherwise? I think I've always really pushed myself to be more of a people person because I know that that's a weakness of mine, right? I'm not super comfortable constantly being around people. And because of that, I've always pushed myself to be more extroverted, to be you know, interactive. And this year has really taught me to slow down and take a step back. You know, why am I forcing myself to go see people that I don't necessarily want to see? Why am I pushing myself to attend this event when I'd much rather be home, you know? And so really prioritizing myself and my needs and figuring out what those even are has been my biggest lesson from the past year. And I want to hear about yours too. I mean, again, we're very similar. You also live alone. It's like, what did you learn from the past year just by being yourself? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I've learned, I've learned a lot in the last year about myself because I, I honestly, before the pandemic had operated under the belief that alone time is really, really important to me. I really, you know, I need to turn people away, kind of, kind of the opposite from maybe from you. I need to turn people away because I know if I don't get a certain amount of alone time with myself certain time to think or just to do whatever it is that I want to do, then when I'm actually around people, I'm going to feel burnt out. I'm not going to feel completely present. I don't like to be around people all of the time because I know I need a certain amount of time for myself in order for me to present the best version of myself when I'm with other people. In the pandemic, I have found myself craving more connection with other people, which I didn't necessarily expect. I like, I was living on my own. I really liked living on my own. Three months into the pandemic, living on my own, I said, I can't do this anymore. I need to, because, you know, I'm working from home. So I'm not going into work. I'm not having that built in interaction. I need to live with someone. And so I did start living with someone. And I, I went into that having expectations of this isn't going to work. I'm not built to live with people. There are just too many, you know, I like, waking up early. I don't want to, I don't want to, 
tiptoe around in the morning and worry about waking someone up. I like playing my music. I like doing whatever, 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 hogging the kitchen for three hours at a time, whatever it is. So I didn't think that I would live with someone well, but I actually did. And it may maybe just a matter of, of who you do live with that, that ultimately makes that experience what it is. But I learned that I actually do, you know, I, I actually can live with people and I can spend more time around people and still be 100% of myself, which I, I didn't necessarily think before. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm proud of you. I mean, it's not oh, easy thanks. to live with someone. It's after college, I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and yeah, you. thank you. Uh, I also learned that it, I also learned about a lot of board games. I've mm-hmm. uh, been doing a lot of that, learned all about Zoom, learned all about working remotely. There's so, just so much in my own job that I learned that I could do that make, has me wondering about, do I want to go in offices again? Do I want, because it is just so much more efficient to work from home. There's no perfect work scenario, whether you're going to a, a place, you're commuting, because commuting is just a waste of time. Working from home, you're not really wasting as much time, but can you focus more? Because when you're at work, it is easier to focus. I'm at work. I'm here to work. At home, it's like, oh, well, my my TV's right there. Uh, you know, that thing of almonds is right there. Let me have some of those. Uh, so it it is a balance that you need to strike. So I'm trying to figure out right now, you know, what kind of, as I go forward, do I like home? Do I like going somewhere? Do I like a mixture of both? That's also something I've been battling. Yeah, I think that'll be our future across America, pretty much, you know, maybe three or four days at home and then go in for a day or two to interact, right? And yeah. see people and get that human interaction and, you know, get away from the almonds. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it should be. That should be the, the future of how we do. I do think there are a lot of people at companies right now who are still, you know, in their 50s and 60s or whatever that are still anchored in that old thinking of, Go to go to work nine to five. Bring your bring your lunchbox, and we'll do what we need to do. But I, I do think that this is just a a better way to work. So I'm looking forward to the future and seeing uh, seeing what it holds for us. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But I will say, I can never eat microwaved food ever again. <laughs> I never want to bring another. I want to throw away my lunchboxes. I never want to see another piece of Tupperware. Do you have a Minnesota Twins lunchbox? I don't. I got I got one for free from work. And so I use that. And nice. the cheapo part of me wouldn't want to go get a new knowledge box. But now that you mention it, maybe I'll go get one. <laughs> I've got a Texas Rangers one, of course. And it's one of those lunch boxes that you put it in the freezer and it freezes. So you can put, you know, get your Tupperware and put it in your lunchbox and it stays cold for five hours or whatever. Nice. Uh, all right. So baseball, got to talk about it. When did you first start having this love for baseball recent um i would say the very first time that i felt myself drawn enough to baseball to want to interact with it on my own was around the 2017 world series and so i found myself watching some of the some of the games that season right i had gone to a fair amount of twins games with my family and i would watch it you know, occasionally when it's on TV, but really that playoffs was the very first time that I started to follow it. And actually that winter was the first time that I started listening to baseball tonight because I didn't have friends who liked baseball and I needed to listen to people discuss baseball. 
and kind of hear what their opinions are, see if they matched up with mine. And so that's really how the whole thing blossomed. I think it was a little bit of back and forth, right? I'd watch more baseball. I'd listen more to the podcast. I'd listen more to to the podcast and I'd pay more attention to baseball. And that really just exploded from there. The crucial question that baseball faces right now is what, what does its future look like? What is its fan base going to be? Because its fan base right now in America is very much old white man. And it's a slow sport. Me and you, our generation, we are fast. We are on the go. We're doing multiple things at once. Baseball is just too slow. And the games are seemingly are getting longer, even though they're trying to make rules to speed it up. So this is the, the question that ex- baseball executives are trying to t- to tackle right now because it is crucial to the future of the sport what do you think they need to do to get me and you people of our ilk in on the sport watching it going to games watching games i think the number one thing that a lot of older fans will disagree with is we need to cater the game to more of what the younger generation needs because you and I are not going to stop watching baseball if it's seven innings. You and I are not going to stop watching baseball if it's half the time that it is now. The fans of baseball will not stop watching if certain rules change, but it will get newer and younger fans interested. And obviously it goes without saying that baseball has a marketing problem in that there's no marketing, in my opinion. Um, basically anyone outside of the sport can't name a single player who's currently playing people will say a rod because he's maybe related to JLo, but that's pretty much it. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, if you went to my friend group and asked, you know, name a baseball player, I would say 99% of them would say a rod. And so Derek Jeter. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. How do we fix that? You know, why are those two guys on everyone's tongues compared to a Bryce Harper, a Mike Trout, I mean, Mike Trout's a bad example because I think he likes his quiet life as the best baseball player of all time. But, you know, what can we do to bring the sport to audiences that typically wouldn't interact with it, right? Whether that's bringing the players to the people or even putting baseball in certain time slots on certain channels at certain times, right? I think there's a lot of different ways that they can go about it. And Exciting change isn't a bad thing because I don't think change will drive away fans. I see you sne- sneaking in a take about Mike Trout there being the greatest player of all time. I will, uh, I will let that go. Um, <laughs> th- that is a good point about change, and it is very hard to change people's minds. And again, when when a, a sport such as baseball is so steeped in history, it is America's pastime, right? People don't want to change it. But I think with everything totally, you know, outside of sports with with anything. If you ever want to move forward, you have to change. You have to adapt to what the climate currently calls for. Nine inning, three hour games, multiple mound visits, multiple pitching changes. All of that is just so unnecessary these days. The pandemic has taught us anything. It's about how to be more efficient, how to just how to just work better. I think baseball needs to follow suit with what the rest of us are doing and try to try to change. I mean, you know, me and you have seen the clips when they do in spring training or all-star games when, when they let their hair down a little bit because there's no real stakes attached to it where they mic up the players and talk to them in the outfield or they mic up the batter, dur- you know, during in-between pitches. That stuff is really cool. And they do, me- uh, do need more of that. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And 
I think that a lot of the younger generation thinks it's too long and thinks it's boring because it's also hard to understand. I mean, baseball has, in my opinion, way more rules than the other sports. I mean, I am not an expert on basketball, but I know that if the ball enters the hoop in the net, you get points, right? <laughs> and baseball is just not straightforward. So how can we make the sport not simpler, but explain it in a way that gets the message to the young, younger generation that makes them maybe want to watch the sport in the first place and try to understand the rules. Because I mean, if baseball is just on the background and you don't know anything about it, why would you watch it? It's, you don't know what's going on. I mean, half the time, this pitcher guy is just throwing the ball toward the mound and you don't know why the guy's not swinging. Right. And so how can we make the rules a little bit more universal and understood and a little bit more public. Do you think it is incumbent upon a player like Mike Trout or insert really good player to actually go out there and do the marketing and sell themselves? Or do you think that it's best to just, Hey, Mike Trout says he wants to stick to himself. That's, that's his prerogative. He can do what he wants. It kind of depends. You know, I think Mike Trout aside, there are players who clearly want to be marketed. I mean, you see it with Alex Bregman, um, unpopular opinion for many. You see it with Trevor Bauer, right? He's doing his darnest to get his name out there and people to know him. And I think that with the support of the sport and maybe allowing a few more antics that make more headlines or better known across the younger generation, that could really get the ball rolling. So despite what our what our generation thinks about games the consensus that i do feel like we have about baseball is that baseball games are still the best games to go to because football games are so made for tv it's really hard to follow especially depending on where you're sitting you don't know where the first down markers are you don't know where all the lines are you can't see penalties from where you're sitting nba games there's a like there's a lot of dead time there baseball while the game is slow, it's pretty active the whole time. There is something for you to watch the whole time. And obviously the ballpark experience is kind of more special than all of those other ones. Why do you, why do you love going to baseball games? Exactly what you said. You can watch baseball from essentially any seat in the stadium and see what you need to see, right? Whether there's screens that'll help you, whether it's angles. Um, I think there's genuinely nothing more exhilarating than watching the ball leave a park at the ballpark. Right. I mean, touchdowns, eh, you know, three pointers, eh. but there's just something magical about baseball. And I think also the time of the year that baseball happens. I mean, the nice, crisp summer nights in an outdoor stadium. I mean, just nothing beats it. Yeah. Okay. So you're a bit of a foodie. I wouldn't call myself a foodie, but I do. I do enjoy good food from time to time. So we are going to kind of do a, a draft of sorts of ballpark foods okay so we're going to choose each choose five ballpark foods you're the guest so you'll be the away team you will bat first ladies first of course uh so it's gonna go you me you me we'll we'll trade off and uh we'll just choose okay hey i'm going to the ballpark this is what i want to eat so you kick it off for us okay number one pick for ballpark foods Number one pick has to be the, I made a list also, and I wrote it down on paper. Yep, same. Um, oh, see, you, people don't get that anymore. No one writes anymore. No one uses a Big pen. Big pen and paper guy. 
Oh, for sure. There's nothing like it. Um, with that said, number one pick, the Buffalo cauliflower poutine from Rogers Center is the best ballpark food I've ever had. Wow. That came out of left field. I did not yeah. expect, did not expect that. I See, I didn't get, first of all, I didn't get specific with my ballparks. Uh, I just went like generic foods, but Buffalo poutine, that sounds fire. And knowing how Canada does their poutine, that is probably so good. Oh my goodness. Buffalo cauliflower poutine. I was actually, I think, sitting in left field when I had it, but it's just, it's so crispy and the buffalo like gravy that they put on top with the cheese curds. I mean, there's just nothing like it. It's so good. And for anyone who cares, it's vegetarian friendly. You can make it vegan friendly. Like it is the best thing on this planet. Hands down. Okay. So after I eat something like that, this is just how I am. Sadly, after I eat something like that, I probably hate myself for a bit. (laughs) How do you feel? Like, do you truly enjoy the experience or do you have a a twinge of guilt when you do it? No, I'm, I'm usually pretty good. Um, I feel like ballparks, nothing counts. I mean, you can eat whatever you want. You feel great, great after. And (laughs) ballparks are kind of like my free pass where I just kind of go ham and eat whatever. And I've had some pretty questionable things at ballparks, which some people on the internet know about. So, okay. All right. So with my, my first pick, I, I will tailor it to a park where I'm saying, give me the sausage, pepper and onion at Fenway park. Got it. Give me that big sausage. It's bigger than any other sausage. It comes in a long bun and you stack it with peppers and onions. You get it at the little, just the little Boston guy yelling at you from the stand. I want that sausage, pepper and onions. I think about it all the time. I'm getting really hungry. It's almost dinner time. I know. I know me too. Okay. So, all right, you're up. All right. Number two, just so that you can also draft it later if it's on your list i will give a specific ballpark and a vendor so that you know i'm not hogging this whole food item but nachos are amazing i love nachos and the best nachos that i've had are at city field there's this little sand i actually went and looked up the name but it's called el verano daqueria oh my goodness it's so good it's not very americanized like they use actual like cojita cheese and it's not as like yellow as I think a lot of other ballpark nachos are, but it is the best ballpark nachos I've ever had. I think about that almost every day. Isn't that the best when you just find yourself thinking about nachos? It's like every uh, day. I love, I love nachos. I said on a couple episodes ago that that's one of my go-to cheat meals is nachos. However, ballpark nachos, it's usually just, you know, your corn chips and your mm-hmm. melted cheese. That's really not my kind of nacho vibe. My my nacho vibe is the, okay. We're getting we're getting corn chips. We're putting onions, uh, peppers, sour cream, maybe some guacamole, salsa, pulled pork, chicken, whatever it is. Like, we, and we are just making a mound of nachos. So nachos actually didn't make it on my list because it the ballpark nachos are really not my kind of nachos. I get that. And I'm with you. Um, the only nachos that I'll get at a ballpark are the ones that you described. Like I need all the toppings. Yes. I need the toppings to be good. I don't want to see yellow. Yes. That's my big thing. Yep. I feel that. Okay. All right. So I'm choosing my second pick pulled pork sliders. Ooh. I love pulled pork. I love sliders. They're obviously very, very easy to eat. 
get some nice barbecue sauce in there. I haven't been, but I'm imagining the Kansas City Royals pulled pork sliders are probably so good. So that's also what I would want. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm getting so hungry right now. I know. I'm like, which ballpark can I go to the quickest? And someone would actually let me in. Okay. So the next one is also a little out of left field, but rip your floats. Usually when you go to the ballpark, it's hot and you want like something sweet to counterbalance like the nachos or like the hot dog that you're currently sweating out. (laughs) And like, I just find that with like a ice cream helmet, like you're satisfied, but then the ice cream's gone and then you have to hold the helmet for the rest of the game. And then if you get a drink, you have the drink and that's it. Why not get both? I mean, at Target Field, if you get the Kilobrew Rip Beer Float, they give you the ice cream in like a cup and then they give you an entire like bottle of Rip Beer for you to pour it into. And so you only use like half the bottle of Rip Beer. So when you're done with your float, you still have Rip Beer left over. It's, it's amazing. I, oh my gosh, I think about that probably like every day <laughs> too. So uh, I should go without saying that with all my foods, I'm having an IPA of some sorts with me mm-hmm. just to give in. Uh, all right. So my third pick now, I, I understand that this is a polarizing topic around the country in terms of how to call it. I'm calling it fried dough. Do you know what I'm talking about? Fried dough. Fried dough. Like elephant ears. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. It's fried dough where I come from. No one's ever called it elephant ears because I I know I I went down this rabbit hole with someone before fried dough. I love fried dough. You get that at a ballpark stand. You get the nice powdered sugar on top. So good. I haven't had it in so long but it's so good. So good. And it's kind of funny because, okay, so in China, we've got something similar that's like an elephant ear or a fried dough. And instead of calling it like one of the two, we call it a combination of both. Like we call it a fried dough elephant ear. Huh? It's like we're appeasing the Americans (laughs) who don't even realize that we're appeasing them. That's so funny. Everything always comes back to us. Okay. Uh, you're up fourth pick. Okay. So my next pick is I've only seen this at one stadium, but at progressive field, they have a sandwich called the flamethrower, which is, I think like a pulled pork sandwich, not a slider, a pulled pork sandwich, but they put hot Cheetos on top. And if you eat it fresh, the hot Cheetos are crunchy, but then you get like the sweet pulled pork with like bacon jam and like candied onions. Damn, oh my gosh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And oh my gosh. And the whole thing is like this big. And I think it was only like $8 or something pretty cheap compared to everything else. But that was the best part of the All-Star game. Like screw the home derby. like that sandwich. The first Twins game at Target Field that you can go to, what are you getting? Ooh. Don't spoil it if it's on your list. No, it's not on my list, okay. actually. I think I would have to get, oh my gosh, I can think of like seven things I want to get. <laughs> so we have this thing, a stand called the Soul Bowl, which is all soul food. You don't think of this at like a ballpark, but you can get like collard greens, you can get jerk chicken, you can get like braised beef. And so my go-to if I'm feeling like a little bit healthier that day is to get like a collard greens and corn and braised beef plate. 
And then I'll get like a side of cucumber and mint lemonade. Like it, it's very specific. I've yeah. eaten my way through that ballpark. So I know exactly what I want, but I think that's the number one thing. Cause you can't really get it anywhere else. All right. So for my fourth, I mean, this is a classic. I feel like I'm getting a steal here. I got to go with a big salted pretzel. I mean, that's, that's pretty much obvious. That is my dad's favorite thing to get in the park. He always gets a pretzel, can never finish it, can never finish it. Always ask me to help out with the pretzel. Love the big pretzel. Ooh, that is a good one, actually. And it's, you can eat it for a really long time, I feel like. Like, it's, it's just a good thing to keep munching on throughout the day. And it really soaks up the IPA or like in my case, if I were having a mojito or something. Yeah. Um, I think my last one's kind of a steal. I would get the generic cheese curd at any stadium. Cheese curd. You've never had a cheese curd. No, that's, but that's the most Midwest thing I've ever heard. Oh my gosh. Cheese curds are so good. You get like a little boat of them. Um, I'm guessing in t- target field or, where the brewers play, um, you there, yeah, it's just fried cheese curds. It's like kind of crispy and crunchy on the outside, and then you bite into the cheese curds, and it melts in your mouth. Like it's so good, and it's like stretchy cheese. It's hard to describe, but you know what a cheese curd is. Is it, it's is it like a mozzarella best. stick? It's not breaded like a mozzarella stick, and the curds are like this big, so they're like little tiny balls of cheese, and so they'll dip it in like a very generic, almost like, almost like a donut batter and fry it and so you bite into it and you get just like a tiny tiny bit of crisp on the outside and the inside is just like bite biting into a melted cheese ball like it's it's so good see that's a reason right. to stop in minneapolis okay yeah i mean if i if i wasn't going to come for the the breweries and everything i guess i'm coming for the cheese curds <laughs> uh okay so my last pick just a classic i mean a, a song is pretty much dedicated to it to it i gotta get peanuts I'm and I'm talking not not the shelled one or the ones that are already shelled. I'm cracking the shells. I'm dumping it on the on my seat b- before me. I feel bad because I know someone has to clean this up, but that's just part of the ballpark experience. Cracking my peanuts, cracking my sunflower seeds as well. That's my honorable mention. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's the final team. That's a really good one, actually. And nothing really screams like introverted old man vibes, kind of like eating a giant bag of peanuts by yourself. That's a good one. Well said. Couldn't have said it better myself. So, Rena, uh, thank you for joining me today. This has been so much fun talking to you, getting to know more about you and your story. You're, again, one of my favorite Twitter follows. What's the handle? At Rena Benito. No, you'll say at, it in your sleep after this. At, yeah, at Rena Benina, B-A-N-E-N-A. Yeah. Uh, Rena, thank you for joining me. I look forward to more talking about baseball. If I come out west, hey, you kind of convinced me because now I kind of want some cheese curds. So when I come <laughs> out here uh, shortly, maybe I swing up to Minnesota. I don't know how far away it is from where I'm going to be, but we'll see. Uh, thank you for joining me and uh, best of luck with everything going forward. Thanks for having me. So great catching up with my girl, my my 21st century pen pal, Rena Wong, but as I affectionately know her, Rena Benita. Never actually met her, but I feel like in 2021, I've got a lot of things planned. I'm going places. I'm going to be talking to a lot of people. I'm going to be very adventurous in 2021, so I can envision getting together with Rena Benita in the near future. I just love talking to people, learning about their stories, their backgrounds, where they come from. 
what made them who they are. And that will continue to be a, a big theme of the show as we move forward here. So everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I so appreciate the support uh, that I'm getting. Big changes happening in my life. I'm working 60 to 70 hours right now trying to figure out the next phase of my life. Things are happening. Things are moving quickly. Some of it involves staying up very late. I was up until 4.30 in the morning today working, woke up at 9.30 working, but it is all for, it is all in the name of trying to get better for a next step, trying to figure out what is next, trying to get all my ducks in a row um, while trying to figure out what's next. Again, like I said, I know I'm being vague, but again, the, the countdown is on. I'm, I'm not speaking about anything because I'm kind of under contract with regards to things. So I, I cannot divulge specific details, but uh, on any 11 days from when I'm speaking now, I can kind of talk about anything I want. So I will do that. I will have more episodes detailing everything that I've been going through, why I've been silent, what I'm going through, what I will be going through over the next year, what I'm planning on. Big things are happening in my life, and I'm so, so excited to see where things are going. I think a lot of us have felt like we're in a rut in 2020, into 2021. We feel stuck, and I felt that way for a long time. That was a big motivation as to why I started doing this podcast, because I felt stuck, because I felt like I had things to say, I had things to share, and I want to get them out there. And I, I felt like I wasn't creating anything, that I wasn't doing anything of value, that I wasn't having it much of a purpose. And so that's, that's a lot of the reasons behind the show. And now a lot of it is kind of um, coming back to me again. I, I will speak more about this when I can. I know I've been saying that for maybe a month or two because the wheels have really been turning. Things have slowly been happening. Changes slowly start started happening. It does not happen overnight, but I promise I will have a tell all and the news will be so great. The payoff will be so great. I'm working on some big things. I hope you all uh, can wait a little bit more and are excited for me. And uh, I can't wait to share it with you. So Troy Farkas show, thank you for listening wherever you get your podcast. I love listening on Spotify personally, but of course, Apple is the OG in this game. You can listen on Google. I think Amazon's getting into the game. So wherever you get your podcast, listen, listen while you're on a run, while you're cooking, while you're baking, while you're folding laundry, while you're walking, while you're on the treadmill, even while you're working. Okay. Maybe not while you're working, but any other time, let me know what you think. Slide into the DMs, leave me a comment, let me know, send me a pigeon, whatever. I don't care. But thank you for listening to the Troy Parker Show. Thank you to Rena Benina for joining me. Give her a follow, Twitter, Instagram. Thank you for the support, everyone. Peace and love, y'all. Peace and love.